Welcome. This is episode three of MoveTube, a podcast where me and Ralph, Ralph and I, review a film that's on movie and talk about it. One thing I want to say at the top of the show is obviously with events that are happening in America and now globally in some senses after the murder of George Floyd by the uh, Minnesota Minneapolis Police Department. Um, I think rather than kind of me uh, just waxing about that, um, what we will say is there is going to be a donation link to a fund, an aggregated fund in the episode description, which is a uh, tool which sends your donation or splits your donation between a large number of bail funds and uh, memorial funds in the US. Um, so we're going to recommend that people, uh, you know, donate and contribute to that if they can. Um, but yeah, obviously, th- these events have informed pretty much what we're going to talk about today. Um, we had an original plan uh, that was <laughs> the apple cart was fully like kicked over, basically like a target was set on fire. It was our plan was to do Animal Crackers by the Marx Brothers, uh, a piece of very genteel. Uh, <laughs> kind of uh, satire against high society um fucking funny film though like because we did we did all the preparation for this and we watched animal crackers um and then as situation kind of evolved we kind of wanted a change in the focus and the framing of this episode um and we so the result was that movie yesterday listed uh a piece of archive documentary called uh the black power mixtapes um, by Goran Olsen, um, Swedish director. Um, and the, the production history of that film is really, really interesting. Uh, and the people who feature in the film, uh, both modern and archive, are really interesting as well. Um, but we also kind of wanted to talk about, uh, and I'll leave this up to Ralph more than myself, because he knows a lot more than I do, and I don't want to sound like bungling and stupid, um, more bungling and stupid than I usually do. <laughs> um, <laughs> just really Not left in myself least. in it. Not in the no, least. least. Um, but yeah, we also kind of wanted to contextualise the sort of black power movement through black cinema in the late 60s, 70s and 80s, particularly through like the LA rebellion movement. Uh, people like Charles Burnett, uh, Julie Dash, yep. directors like that. So the LA rebellion um, is a movement in cinema uh, of African-American filmmakers um they were all most of them were studying at ucla film school um and uh, over quite a long period of time uh, these films mm. were made late 60s to late 80s um and for me they are i first heard about them actually um in a uh, an essay film by a guy called Tom Anderson, I think he's called, uh, called LA plays Los Angeles plays itself, which is like a kind of geographical history of of LA, the city, and um, it has all Blade Runner, it has all the LA Confidential, all the big blockbusters and crime movies and sci-fi films um, that LA is featured in. But uh, the section that I found most interesting was the section on uh, working class black life in LA and that is mm. seen through the lens of these filmmakers uh, Billy Woodbury's Bless Their Little Hearts Bush Mama by Haile Gerema and The Killer of Sheep by Charles Burnett are probably the kind of founding in the same way that in the French New Wave you have 400 Blows, Abu de Souffle um, 
these kinds of like those were the sort of early ones and then those directors uh went on to make more ambitious projects as after their graduation um julie dash uh made uh, a great film called uh daughters of the dust mm. um that she was also made uh later actually wasn't it 92 that was 1990 yeah 1991 yeah. so uh but she made a film before that called illusions um yeah so these films they're quite near the early ones were, were quite near realist um made with very little money they have a kind of um well i'm going to talk about Bushmama by Haile Gerima first because i have a particular preference for Haile Gerima i think uh he has he, there is a way in which his politics is very firmly um uh interwoven with his aesthetic style um the opening of Bushmama is this kind of chaotic um, street schism. There's people rushing through the streets. It's very shaky. Um, it's kind of like that, that Ziga Vertov style city symphony kind of opening, or is it, how, is, how does it differ? It's, it's much more informal and much more, um, uh, and yet the film itself is quite um, structured. Um, mm. So there are these scenes from prison where a, a man has his hands through the bars. Uh, he's the the husband or the the, the partner of the main the bushmama. Bushmama is slang for uh, in that um, context for a the the mother of a child whose father is uh, imprisoned, incarcerated, and um, yeah, there's that. There's so there's that Billy Woodbury uh, film, uh, Bless the Little Hearts, which is about unemployment. Like a guy who's mm. who's um, who's unable to get a job in LA. And this is the yeah, this is the the central thrust that a lot of these films in in depicting. My understanding is a lot of them in depicting working class life in the kind of neo realist tradition were also um, raising issues that were sort of had in a way directly contributed to the Watts riots in nineteen sixty five. Um, systemic and structural racism um obviously the the civil rights movement is a is a backdrop to all of this um mm-hmm. particularly in the south and also the issues like incarceration um and the prison system and the judicial system are also kind of themes across all of these films right and the sort of you know the workplace and i think that the bit you know i i haven't actually finished seeing killer of a sheep yet but there is a really good scene I saw where they get hold of this motor engine and there's this big issue about they can sort of carry and sell this motor engine. It will obviously be a huge, uh, there's sort of basically as human characters, it will be a huge kind of uh, boon for them. It'll be like this kind of like, you know, uh, red letter day. And there's a lot of preparation, so much kind of rides on this, this motor engine and it actually falls off the truck and it's just ruined in the middle of the street. And they mm. walk away and it's this kind of... Uh, interesting highlight of of uh life is so precarious that it can rest on this the kind of glimmers of hope of these small windfalls um and there's this huge drama invested in just just getting by and the hand of fate you know like gravity in this instance this this that they hadn't tied the engine down to the truck properly um can sort of smash and 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 devastate those dreams because they're so vulnerable um 
Is that something, because you've obviously watched a, a lot more films from this movement, and obviously they're incredibly internally diverse, what would be like the main, I guess, I stylistic th- elements? and then Yeah, there's being... editing styles that are quite, quite avant-garde. Um, there's definitely an element of surrealism uh, that's kind of, or, or absurdism maybe is a better way of describing it, that's underrated in the LA Rebellion. Um, particularly there's a film called Child of Resistance by Haile Gerrima, um, who did Bush Mama. <coughs> it has Barbara O in it. Um, and there's this amazingly like, uh, but there's lots of really sort of dramatic imagery of prisons and incarceration. Some of it's in black and white, some of it's in color. Um, the imprisoned woman kind of basically has these nightmarish and uh, kind of extraordinary fantasy. Using a sort of th- theatrical techniques and a- absurdist, mm. surrealist imagery to conjure the like the violence of racism, the violence of, of the American experience uh, for African Americans. Um, yeah. yeah, I've got a real respect for... There's a really good... Um, basically, if you go on YouTube and search Haile Gerrima, like um, any footage of him talking is exhilarating mm. i saw him speak oh, okay. at um uh, rotterdam film festival um and he gave this kind of huge call to arms rant on the uh the state of uh, hollywood you know he said it doesn't matter how many oscars they give to you know um a black director like the the system the system is fundamentally um mm. racist and uh and and the aesthetic you know he he, he spoke very much uh, I won't be able to summarize it, but um, the narrative tools, the kind of the principles of screenwriting, stuff to do with you know hero, protagonist, and the mm. act structure, and like right to right down to the craft of filmmaking, he has a sort of a political critique, um, yeah. and th- you, those people are just you know it's endlessly interesting to listen to them and, and learn from them. Yeah, I think there's uh, yeah because the the context of this film movement rising out of UCLA in the late sixties. If You See Illusion, which I watched earlier today, um, by Julie Dash, and that's sort of 1973, I think. Um, The film is literally about Hollywood, um, and in it, the character's voiceover, it has this very symbolic, quite avant-garde opening. Uh, It's kind of like Maya Duren in a little bit, like Meshes of the Day, in this kind of quick little symbolic scenes, just to kind of set the story. we then have this voiceover and these shots of Hollywood and this typical kind of show tune American music, Hollywood music playing, uh, setting the scene. And the voiceover is talking kind of very matter of factly about what Hollywood, uh, what Hollywood does. And the argument is that film and uh, Hollywood cinema, uh, that system uh, recreates history it doesn't just show and depict history, it actually shapes the history that people remember. And so there's mm. a critique contained in that, which is a political critique of the world as seen through Hollywood as a misrepresentation of reality, of the lived reality of uh, people in America and across the world. But I think the claim is also cinema can shape history. Therefore, if we control cinema, we can create an alternative vision uh, of American experience, one that's both more realistic as regards like the everyday life of black Americans, for example, but also 
can shape the future of that and what that industry might might look like. So the film we have chosen is Black Power Mixtape, 1967s uh, to 1975, um, by Goran Olsen, a Swedish filmmaker. Um, and it's effectively a history of the rise of the Black Power movement in America over that period. It's kind of intellectual leaders, it's political leaders, it's authority figures, it's, um, it's spokespeople, and it charts this the kind of intellectual emergence of that movement and it's kind of the context that we're feeding into it like obviously Vietnam uh, obviously like heroin uh, in New York and Harlem uh, and drug crisis in the late 60s and 70s um, it's quite an interesting film because the filmmakers are Swedish um, and there's a sense of like them coming to America in fact I'm going to cut myself off because I want to stitch together the production of this film because my understanding is Olsen came to the, the States in the 70s, shot a lot of footage um, in a very kind of earnest and quite naive way, like walking up to average Americans and going, so what's it like to live in America? Mm. Um, and this film is 2011. It's a repackaging of this old archive footage um, into a kind of coherent narrative with voiceovers from people circa 2010. There's a lot of contemporary voiceovers, right? The 2010-ness of it um, kind of comes through and you do get the feeling that some of the people in the voiceover might have uh, sounded a bit more... uh, You know, just in the context we're in right now and with with Trump being president, it feels like... um, It feels much... I don't know. Who am I to say? It just seems like... Um, you know when uh, when Angela Davis says, you know, even if even though we have a black president, you know, these things are vital. To, it's mm. almost like now you wouldn't say that. You would say now more than ever yeah. we have a fascist president. <laughs> and yeah. We, and we, yeah, it's very um, yeah, it's very evocative of that like pre. And I guess yeah, I guess it's different. It's 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 kind of poised differently, I suppose, in this kind of not a lull so much, but I think there's a sense that the next 10 years bring this kind of focused re-emergence of the movement, you know, responses to the mm. death of like, Tamir Rice, Sarah Garner, um, and there's, you know, series of kind of smaller protests and, and uprisings in the States leading up to today, the last eight, nine days of this 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 conflagration in America, which has spread to all 50 states. Because uh, Black Lives of, Matter began in 2013, so this yeah this film doesn't yes yeah, free that isn't isn't present for any of that um, nor there of we course go, that's Trump. The timeline. And I so, think it is interesting in that sense because you've got people reflecting. Yeah, Angela Davis, you know, obviously reflecting, and a lot of the film is actually um, dedicated to to her and her speeches, her incredible oratory, um, her you know really powerful interviews she gave, and uh, an amazingly uh, lit almost and stylized as it were I hate to say that kind of interview in this in this bright blue prison cell um which is a really striking image um mm. and this is when she was on trial for in 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 60s 67 for supposedly providing a, a weapon to a man who uh shot a policeman in a shootout which is obviously a complete bullshit uh was obviously a complete bullshit charge that she was uh, acquitted of um 
and I think yeah so it's it's this story it charts it charts these major characters it but it very decisively kind of departs from it chooses not so much to look at the movement in the south and at Martin Luther King it, it more goes on the line of like Stokely Carmichael and looking at Stokely Carmichael uh Malcolm X and it's I guess the kind of untold story of this movement or not untold in the sense it's just it's the le- the one you don't know if you went through school say at least in the UK and you didn't really do much more reading about uh the civil rights movement and so on it were kind of it the way we were taught it was almost like Malcolm X was a uh kind of peripheral figure uh which is crazy when you think about it but a kind of peripheral figure and the focus was obviously on the obviously the extremely vital work of the civil rights movement but this side of the story wasn't told so one side of it is there's that they they make the point there that martin luther king uh while mostly being known as a non-violent uh and religious public figure um they the film implies that his uh, assassination was um precipitated by uh, him becoming more radical and being more focused yes. on capitalism as a system and the government um mm. rather and that than he was shut just, down yeah yeah and it does talk about the, the political motivations of 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 assassinations in the 60s because that was like the almost this golden era of, of assassinations against political figures and obviously kennedy Martin Luther King. you don't have assassinations as much now <laughs> very loaded <laughs> you don't know it's true this I mean, yeah. there are who who would you who would be who's the threat whose intellectual uh, faculties are a threat to the existence of capital I don't, right I now? I don't want to uh, I don't want to paint a target in this podcast. No, no, of course. I joke, but, <laughs> but I mean, I mean like, <laughs> we, we, I, there's a wider I, point here, which is like the the, the no. I don't think we have as good. Inter- I think we have the intellectual so leaders. Much, yeah, we don't have intellectual public intellectuals. Leadership. I think the movements are much more diverse. Uh, like, if you look at a movement like Black Lives Matter, they're obviously really powerful spokespeople, but spokespeople seem to be, they kind of emerge and fall into and out of this movement. You know, you have temporary people who will lend their voice to it. Um, you know, people like, you know, for example, the protest you know, even in London the other day, John Boyega, um, people who kind of lend their voice to it. But there's a very collective nature to these movements, I think. And maybe maybe I'm misreading that entirely, but it's it's a movement based on 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 the social movement and the social roots of the movement, rather than on kind of uh, a single uh, voice or spokesperson. Uh, but maybe maybe that's maybe that's mischaracterizing it. But it's it's much more kind of um, intuitive and based on kind of tools of opposition and a language of 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 of, of justice and reparation. Doesn't yeah that's just like, my yeah. my i just thought like because you know like now it's like you know killer mike and james corden you know like that <laughs> like that sort <laughs> of that's that's the kind of um intellectual leadership you know but when you look at this documentary yeah. you just think wow like everyone was fucking smart and they knew oh, exactly yes. what they meant and they fucking mm. said it and there was utter there was clarity no... and cornell West's speech i thought the same but you know he's an old dude you know like this is yeah. a particular generation and a particular moment where people were incredibly good at expressing themselves. I think, and I, that's I think not it's true. What, that, that's not the only important thing going on. And I'm, no. I'm, a, I'm a media-y, politicky person, so I'm, it's a bias of mine that I find that like particularly pertinent. But yeah, like just watching this film, it's just incredible just to hear people like Angela Very Davis confident. And, 
Stoker yeah, Carmichael feeling speak. people like Stokely Carmichael talk almost as it were off script. And even when there's sections of the film where Stokely Carmichael is just talking amongst friends, there's not only a sense of people hanging on his words, but that his words carry this enormous weight and gravity and, and, and purpose. And it's the same with, I think, you know, probably one of the best and most convincing public speakers, you know, someone like James Baldwin. Mm. And to listen to oh, well, yeah, he's not even it. he's not even in this film but he's he's, he's not even in it yeah exactly he's amazing watching, <laughs> he's incredible uh, and it's like you know watching one of the best to ever do with it. him there's a really good interview from uh oh, 63 i think that you can watch listen to on youtube whatever uh james baldwin and this is a you know an incredible piece of oratory that's completely off the cuff or at least sounds like it um because he, it's again, it's very. It's, there's no ambiguity, and it's just very clear and very direct. And it's he was a Harlem his, preacher, wasn't he? When he grew up, he was. Mm, he very cut much. his teeth, reading out. Yeah, cut his teeth, uh, learning that way. And I think maybe there's there's that kind of influence in a sense, and kind of like oratory, being very valuable. It's very different from. Uh, yeah, it's very different to have these to be able to tell the story, the history of a movement through specific characters and figures. Um, you know, like Andrew well, Davis and that. Malcolm X is really interesting. What can we say about this film in terms of it as a film? Or is it, do you think, really mm. just like a, len- a, a lens through which to consider that political movement and its current ramifications? I, it's f- it's like a hard film to review because like there's the Swedish yeah. element. Every so often you hear a bit of Swedish and you're like, oh, wow, Sweden. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it does take you out of it. <laughs> yeah. but, but like, I, think, I well, mean, it's, put, it's well put together. It's beautiful. It's, it, you know, it bring, it's evocative. It's structured I think, well. I don't know. I think you can say, I, th- I think, you know, normally we try not to message each other when we're watching these films. Uh, I did send you a couple of messages, you know, sort of saying that I, I find these kind of historical doc- archive documentaries often quite, it's, it's a hard kind of genre, as it were, to revolutionise. It's not like it has to be revolutionised because it is what it mm. is. It's The film is often a vessel for the message and the message overrides it. But I think... The film kind of was interesting in a sense of like one thing it did do was there was no footage in this film, I think, that I was familiar with. And sometimes you watch documentaries of a particular era and you can pick out the archive footage and go, I, I recognise this. Mm. Um, I've seen it before. This was to see sort of Stokely Carmichael in his back room talking, I think, after a public speech. And he's burning. What is he burning? He's burning some papers or a passport or a document. I can't remember what it's a very It's probably something really important. It's like super important that we both miss. And it's incredibly yeah. like, you don't see footage like that. And it's also the quality of the footage is extremely sharp and precise. Um, and it's quite, I think in its own way, quite powerful to see footage. Because I was saying before we started recording, that I was watching footage from the Watts riots. Um, and it's not a great deal of it. Um, it's something that happened very much as it were you know, sort of off off screen and in a very localised way in, in LA. Um, but the footage you do see is obviously acid footage. It's extremely warped and decayed uh, newsreel footage that's obviously been absolutely fucked in archives over the years and kind of digitised. So the quality mm. is very low. And you often see footage from this period, of this very low quality footage, and it creates this divide between you and the period. Um, and I think when you see footage that's so crisp and and... and almost modern in its quality it kind of really drags you into that moment so the film's quite immersive in that sense like especially the the kind of establishing footage at the start of the film 
it's just really bizarre because some of it's just insanely shot. It's a picture of like a basketball court. So mm. this super high lens, this high angle down on this basketball court, most of it's just empty tarmac and there's like one hoop and he's like three kids playing and it's just this really, really powerful shot. And it's really bizarre bit where these Swedish filmmakers are walking into this like, is it like a coffee shop? And it's like a white, you know, white owned coffee shop. And he's just like, so what's it like to live in America? Um, <laughs> and the coffee shop's- the I really like, enjoy oh, the well, naiveness you know. of it. Like, I, mm. I really enjoy- What do you think about that? Yeah. Do you think that was like an intentional thing on behalf of the filmmakers as being like the- Well, there's a brief just, section on how the Swedish coverage of the black power movement was criticized by the american government or there was some sort of like tv guide magazine wasn't it yeah there was like there was like there was a there was a bit of narrative about how swedes (laughs) were being quite sympathetic towards black people and Mm. that they were getting in trouble for this uh, because you know normally white westerners should be you know Racist. Toe the line. <laughs> yeah. Toe the line. <laughs> Toe the line yeah. racism, which is what this means. Um, and uh, I thought that was quite interesting. The sort of it, it, they didn't they didn't aggrandize themselves too much, but um, it was there. Wasn't I, it? I, I, I like the idea of filmmaking and solidarity. I like the idea of mm. people, you know, thinking, oh, what can we do? How can we, you know? Um, I think that's a common trope in a way because you see it even with the riots at the moment because a lot of um, you see a lot of people share footage to. Um, uh, to social media like Twitter and mm. there's this like go-to thing that people say is like and they're addressing other Americans but also non-Americans which is like do you realise how we look to the world mm. and that's common I, I see that kind of wording that language quite a lot and it might be attached to an image of like often it's like a group of like absolute shitheads with AR-15s you know and modified body armour you know guarding a target or something it's a lot of that or it might be, uh, you know, evidence of police brutality and video footage of police brutality. And it's like, do you know how we look to the world or how we appear to the world? Mm. I think there's, um, the film is kind of doing that because it's, it's seeing, it's always interesting to see, as it were, your own culture or a different culture through the eyes of someone who's at least pretending to be naive about it, like these Swedes are. And they're the perfect kind of guileless um, kind of uh, interlocutors in this film because they kind of just have this like they've been beamed down from this like fancy world you know and I think so they have these very uh, you know when they interview um, sort of Angela Davis and stuff they, they ask quite sort of naive questions but it's interesting and like you say yeah there is a section where they interview the editor editorial director of TV Guide magazine who are the, the magazine which called the Swedes out for being biased towards the black power movement or not even just the black power movement just like you said sympathetic to black people in America um, and they have this interview with this like oily uh, editorial director of TV Guide and it's it's quite revealing because he's just so so very snide isn't he about mm. um, Sweden's kind of uh, like as a nation Sweden's like complicity in, in this movement which he obviously detests and then there's like, they interview someone else, or it might be a voiceover, I can't remember, where they're like, who the fuck a TV guide? And it's like, is, is this, in my head, is this like the equivalent of like the Radio Times coming out and like sniping at, um, I don't know, at the European Union? 
Well, the it's Radio a weird Times, thing. I mean, they aren't really a factor anymore, are they? <laughs> no, that's what I mean. <laughs> But know. they were. It's, I mean, a, a TV yeah. listings magazine is probably very important back in the day. Um, My nan is still a regular buyer of the TV Guide. I was like Radio Times. I used to love the Radio Times. I'd buy the Christmas cool. issue, issue. It's always oh, like the um, bumper, the bumper, the bumper Christmas issue. issue. Yeah, yeah. You'd hear, there would be some documentary about Tony Hancock. That I'd be very excited. <laughs> yeah. When like the Left Bank show was still a thing. Is it still a thing? The South Bank show. South Bank show, Left Bank show. It may as well be a Left Bank show. Right? Yeah, total um, liberal. Um, Wishy-washy Blair I, You know what? I love Melvin Bragg. I still love Melvin Bragg. <laughs> That's how our programme about the Black Power mix they finished. <laughs> Two yeah. smug middle-class white men from England <laughs> expressing their I love oh, the Avancula Bragg. Um, what more can we say in these last few minutes about um, about this film and, and the, the, what do you, the okay, world it draws upon? Maybe. Hmm. I you know I don't know. It's very difficult, like you said, because the film these films are quite hard to talk about in a in a sense because they are conveying a message. What I suppose what like what surprised you about this film? Maybe. I think I was um, there was a wonderful bit where. Um, someone in the Black Panthers in that little house they had in Harlem where they were working um, yeah, said said um, uh, we're you know society is structured in a way where they make it seem like racism is what we have to deal with and really what we have to deal with is capitalism and um, I well I like that as a statement obviously it's not news to hear that uh, the Black Panthers were anti-capitalist um but again it was just another yeah another case of like ideological clarity and um you know it was beautiful there was just lots of bits of it that were the the clarity i think what i what i came away with was like a clarity of speech um i found quite inspirational and quite beautiful and yeah um and that it was yeah it was something that couldn't really be um repackaged and appropriated and, and absorbed into some public statement by Ben and Jerry's or Amazon you know it was like mm, it was un uncommodifiable yeah it was like it was boldly like anti the way the system is because it understood that the system mm. is set up to create these problems you know they um, I think that's yeah. it because that message does does come through particularly in the later years of the documentary where where it's sort of introduced to Harlem as, as, as in a way, the kind of epicenter of certain narratives about uh, the live reality of being black in America in that time. And certain mm-hmm. people talking about, in a documentary, about being seen as a kind of utopia in a way. And someone very explicitly says, you know, this is someone that was very proud to be black um, and where black identity was incredibly strong. Um, but then it kind of also talks about the, the addiction and drug problems that... Uh, beset that same community and obviously there is a very powerful point made about the uh, which is something we kind of almost come back to every episode about medicalization and about the state's responsibility and role in kind of encouraging promoting and incriminating people for this drug problem sort of creating the problem then imprisoning and punishing people for it and that's a really powerful section of the film you know obviously a, a a drugged community is a compliant community and also potentially an imprisoned 
or imprisonable community. Um, and that kind of comes through at the end. There's some interesting, it would have been interesting, I suppose, to see the film kind of focus or see a film very focused very specifically on Harlem because I think it was mm. quite an interesting place for it to end. And I think it did end there, didn't it? I'm not imagining yeah. uh, <clears throat> an ending beyond, beyond that. Um, I just found it really interesting. And like you said, it was very beautiful and there were a lot of moments where, yeah, it was just very inspirational and, you know, people like Erica Badu uh, kind of giving a modern perspective on the movement that they kind of either grew up with or kind of like through their parents to kind of... Uh, kind of experienced was really powerful as well um you know this this idea and I think yes the kind of like bittersweetness of it because it's obviously very inspirational but you know I was, saw on the internet the other day some posters from sort of before even before the Watts riots from sort of 1963 about for example end police brutality now and we've always been making these demands in I want to say we but people have been making demands in the present for you know very simple things like not to be killed uh and this is 50 years late 50 60 years later and you know the same uh protestations and uh conflicts are still happening well we recommend it don't we black yeah, it's totally going to be on there it. for a month it's just been uploaded so you know um, educate yourself and all that <laughs> yeah um, um learn something uh, it's also just really got some incredible footage in it as well. It's quite watchable. Um, yeah, yeah, hopefully maybe we'll know. do the right thing and upload do the right thing. <laughs> do the right thing. I, <laughs> I would stole love that to, joke from someone uh, I was chatting to on WhatsApp. Did you? Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> cite your sources. Um, yeah, I would love. I would love to do do the right thing. Hundred um, percent. And also, yeah, I think they should they should put some LA Rebellion stuff up on there. Um, if I wonder you if they are, will. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to see some LA Rebellion films, watch Bush Mama, watch Killer of Sheep, watch uh, Child of Resistance, slightly harder to get a hold of. Um, Doors of Dust as well, which was really good. Doors you of said. Dust, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Illusions by Julie Dash. Yeah. But I'm not going to um, do a big list because like, I get so exhausted when people post like, huge lists of like yeah like a resource just go out there yeah. it's really easy to find the stuff like find your own way like your yeah. favorite la rebellion film won't be this your won't be my favorite la rebellion we all have different personal tastes but we're all here together as people trying to you know trying to make society a little bit better thank you all for listening um and maybe next time we will do 400 blows no, it's not on Mubi. We have to, they keep Mubi Library. Oh. Can I just say, Mubi Library that we were celebrating oh. at the start of this process is actually quite a cruel mistress. Sometimes a film like Red Desert or Four Hundred Blows will just be mm. on there as part of some curated playlist, and then the next day you go on, not there. And it's... furthermore, the now showing section of the website doesn't give any expiry dates, so you basically click no. on something, and if you get it's halfway like a through, kind of, it's a striptease that maybe you're doing with like their criterion library and occasionally they'll show you something like 400 blows or red desert that pisses me laventura maybe that you want to see yeah come on movie we know you're listening sort your shit out um do the right thing (laughs) (laughs) on that note note. thank you Um, all for listening thank you for listening peace out